from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very different edition of the show. You can even hear it in the, in the echoing sound of my voice because I'm in a, uh, not in my usual um, very tiny little air-impaired studio. I'm in an auditorium with a, what appears to be a live audience. Is there a live audience out there? Yeah. That's what I was told. And um, so it's the, only the second time in the history of this, this multi-decade history of this broadcast that uh, this has been the setup because uh, we are at the London Podcast Festival, a, a veritable festival of podcasts, which will be parading uh, to your, uh, your ears if you're in the uh, room here. And uh, otherwise, it'll be on your... Uh, podcast player, your audio player of choice. Anyway, I'm, I'm first up, very pleased to be. And so, um, and I am in London, King's Place, London. And it is from here that one is perhaps even freer to reflect than usual on the odd notion, which is so abroad in the land of my birth, the notion of American exceptionalism. Um, strangely enough, American politicians like to take the position that despite genocide, slavery, and just the nicest little touch of imperialism, America is, an, is a country like no other, standing high and apart from the rest. And so you might wonder, well, what is it exactly that sets America apart? Fortunately, BBC News has weighed in with some evidence. Police in Kentucky have arrested a man dressed as a clown, lurking in a wooded area, amid a wave of clown reports <laughs> in at least six U.S. states. Jonathan Martin, 20 years old, old enough to know better, was charged with, <laughs> here's the charge, wearing a mask in a public place <laughs> and disorderly conduct in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, if you're looking at a map or trying to create a mental image of where Middlesbrough would be, it's right between Leftsboro and Wrightsboro. He was found at about 1 a.m., in, quote, full clown costume and mask, crouching among trees by an apartment complex, according to police. Now, this is serious. Recent reports of clowns trying to lure children into woods have sparked alarm, so we need to alert Geraldo Rivera because there may be more of that. Police have warned individuals against dressing up in clown costumes, <laughs> adding it could lead to criminal charges. Quote, dressing as a clown and driving, walking, or standing in public can create a dangerous situation for you and others. That's according to police in nearby Barberville. If you don't know where that is, it's just down the road from Dentistville. <laughs> Quote, while dressing up is not in and of itself against the law, doing so in public and thereby creating an unnecessary sense of alarm is illegal, unquote. Alleged clown encounters have been reported in recent weeks in North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, and Kentucky. Maybe they shouldn't have seceded. <laughs> but the recent wave of creepy clown sightings has also led to a string of false reports to both police and on social media. Police in Annapolis, Maryland, recently found reports of students being scared by clowns on the way to school to be untrue. A 24-year-old man was charged with making false reports in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, after he told police a clown knocked on his window. If that's not exceptional enough for you, and it should be, um, what I miss, and I, I am 
going back to the States tomorrow, because I do miss this so very much, is the sound of very t fast talking legal disclaimers at the end of television commercials. Dignity prioritization during congestion. Reliability claim based on third party data restrictions apply. And they say white man can't rap. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the show. Summer was sweet and so she spent it in the city Eyes were bloomers like a do No one ever told her that Someday, maybe she'd have to give in I thought she'd take the town and teach her quite a lesson But soon she's feeling down It's really quite depressing now That no one else thinks she was born to win Cause we all walk the line, all walk the line, then we give in. Yes, we all walk the line, all walk the line, then we give in. We give in, we give in. Oh, someone was hot and so she spent it in the city. Triple jobs or slobs that don't know much of anything And uh, one day she's had enough, she gives up She gives in, meets a man who can because he's got the money Has some kids and says they're his She'll get the house when she wants out She's got the lifestyle now Without the worry Cause we all walk the line, all walk the line Then we give in Yes, we all walk the line, all walk the line, and then we give in. We give in, we give in. Oh. Don't go judging now, I take him to the high road. Cast a stone, you're on your own. Cause in this dirty world, no one's Then we give in Yes, we all walk the line All walk the line Then we give in Yes, we all Yes, we all walk the line All walk the line Then we give in We give in Judith Owen with Leland Sklar. Taking a one-day break from their European tour to be with us today from King's Place in London. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, time to follow the dollar. Senate, you've heard of it, this week blocked a bipartisan initiative to suspend a $1.15 billion arms deal to Saudi Arabia. That clears the way for a massive resupply of Saudi Arabia's military, because it needs it. It's uh, dumping all that material into neighboring Yemen, where uh, 
you know, some war crimes are happening. The victory over lawmakers who are trying to stop the deal will benefit General Dynamics, a defense contractor whose employees and corporate executives have spent millions of dollars on lobbying and campaign contributions well, in the lead-up to the vote. That's convenient. This is from International Business Times. Last month, the Obama administration, headed by the Nobel Peace Prize-winning president, greenlit the sale. The arms will help replenish those lost or destroyed in the war in Yemen. A bipartisan coalition of senators tried to block the transaction, citing concerns about Saudi Arabia's human rights record and questioning the wisdom of U.S.-supplied arms in the region. The approval of the arms deal comes at a pivotal time for General Dynamics, which manufactures the armaments at issue. Last quarter, its uh, combat division experienced a 7% dip in sales, and the company has been slashing jobs at its Ohio Tank Manufacturing Center. You gotta have jobs. General Dynamics has been spending big on politics in recent years. Since 2008, the company pumped more than $1 million into both Democratic and Republican senatorial campaigns. So you have a choice. You can vote for the candidate supported by General Dynamics or the candidate supported by General Dynamics. Also, following the dollar, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have cost U.S. taxpayers nearly $5 trillion dollars. And counting, according to an independent analysis conducted by a political science professor at Brown University. So what can Brown do for you? The calculations extend beyond the typical accounting of overseas contingency operations for the defense and state departments. That's, that's a mere $1.7 trillion. Lee, you got that on you, right? The uh, political science professor, Dr. Nita Crawford. I need a Crawford. I don't know where you can find one here. Uh, tabulated base and future budgets for the Defense Department along with war-related homeland security and veterans affairs spending, which ballooned, well, we all like balloons, as the wars escalated and troops rotated home with injuries. Well, maybe if you didn't rotate, you wouldn't know, please. That's not how they got the... The estimate includes budget requests in 2017 for operations in Afghanistan and in Syria and Iraq, where airstrikes pound Islamic great, uh, state group positions or Islamic great positions ahead of operations in Mosul and elsewhere. The Pentagon has requested $66 billion for operations in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan for next year. That's uh, about $22 billion a country. That seems fair. <laughs> a strict count of dollars spent on ongoing conflicts understate the wider budgetary impact of the wars and their long-term implications. Crawford wrote, she cites a $1 trillion price tag for veterans' uh, uh, costs through 2053 as the agency that takes care of them continues to add younger veterans seeking care. The uh, expenditures on government ledgers are necessary to apprehend, meaning to kind of capture with your head, not to uh, send police after, even as they are so large as to be almost incomprehensible. Five trillion. I got it. She says the long tail of conflict escapes quantification. The mental toll on troops and a seemingly endless legacy of buried bombs and mines looming under the feet of civilians long after the conflict's end. Not to mention the buried mimes, which could even be more sinister. Uh, a looming cost for the wars includes interest on borrowed funds, which will reach $7.9 trillion by 2053 unless the U.S. changes the way it pays for the wars. Taxpayer dollars spent on the wars will likely extend even further than this political scientist's estimated end date of 2053. For example, Irene Triplett, an 86-year-old daughter of a Civil War veteran, still collects her father's pension. That war ended in 1865. If the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq 
were to end today, a similar benefit could be paid out to a survivor of those benefits in the year 2167. Follow the dollar, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast, in case you were thinking of taking it for yourself. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, but now, there's another copyrighted feature. This, this, if you have never heard this show before, it is festooned with copyrighted features. And uh, the next one up is a little thing we like to call News from Outside the Bubble. With some bubblicious music. Tony Blair has apparently made enough money and has decided to close down his commercial operation, Tony Blair Associates, and, it, and dis dismantle his opaque international corporate structure. This is the verbiage of ITV News. He reserves the right to spend 20% of his time on what he calls personal consultancies to generate income, but the reserves of Tony Blair Associates, which uh, ITV at least estimates to be under 10 million pounds, will be gifted to the nonprofit work, according to a statement from his office. According to two close friends of Tony Blair, which is news that he has two close friends, he's fed up with all the negative media coverage of the perceived conflict of interest between his charitable and pro bono work on one hand and his money-making activities on the other. Quote, Tony would probably now accept that there was a bit of indecent haste to make money, a bit of a mad grab after he resigned as prime minister, said a, a source close to Blair. Of course, there was the example of Bill Clinton to draw on. Blair has been planning for some time to reorient, reorient his work more towards his initiatives, to improve governance in Africa, prepare Palestinians for statehood, and encourage participation in sport among young people in Britain, according to the source. What better causes could you... He said he had to wait for the Chilcot report on the Iraq war before restructuring his activity, said another uh, associate of Blair. But he wanted to do it this year, not for tax reasons, no, but because he had been deeply frustrated that all his pro bono work is overshadowed by the media obsession with how he makes money. You do know that among the clients of his consultancy, the president of Pakistan, uh, sorry, of Kazakhstan, uh, widely regarded as not a nice guy. Another of his friends had a warning for him, quote, now that he has in effect said that he will avoid all conflicts of interest, he has to be very careful with all his residual money-making activities. He's not seen to be exploiting his pro bono contacts in any way, and I'm sure he won't. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. We all come to a point in our lives when we realize it's time to give back. I'm Tony Blair, and I've come to that point, albeit slowly and hesitantly. But my time to cash out may be your opportunity to cash in. Hi, I'm still Tony Blair, and I've got the greatest business opportunity for you since air traffic control was privatized. How would you like to own your own mega high-level business consultancy? Hobbing and nobbing with some of the world's least respected leaders. Sound like a dream way beyond the means or achievement of someone who watches and believes advertising? Well, don't you believe it, because now you can own a piece of one of the world's most successful business consultancies. Mine. That's right. 
Tony Blair Associates, a company I built on the firm foundation of my credibility, is now offering partnerships to a select group of hand-picked investors. And here's the best news. Your hands can do the picking. Imagine an office in the swankiest neighborhood in your town or city, a plaque on the door with the name of the consultancy consistently rated in the top 200 by Your Name Here magazine, and sitting at a desk inside the corner office advising princes and dictators is none other than you or someone you choose to employ. It's all up to you. Obviously, an opportunity like this comes up perhaps once in a lifetime, if that often. And of course, other people are probably seeing this announcement at the same time you are, unless you're watching reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond. In any case, you don't want to let this chance to be a player in the high-stakes world of international business and finance just slip away. And the best news is, my name stays with the business, a name that opens doors everywhere except my home country. But I know what you're thinking. The cost of being one of Tony Blair's associates in Tony Blair Associates is a lot more than I can afford. Well, that's where I come in. You see, I'm through with money-making. I just want to help people like you help people like sheiks and presidents for life. We can arrange financing terms that make changing your life easier than buying a new car. On such a plan, you pay what you can afford, month by prestige growing month. And I'll never bother you with collection statements, because I'll be too busy encouraging young people to play sports. So, my only question is, what are you waiting for? There's a limited number of associates' positions available, and your new future is as close as your telephone. 1-800-PRO-BOHO is the number to call. And someone I've handpicked to work odd hours is waiting to hear from you. The sooner you make that call, the sooner you can start thinking up the valuable advice you'll be offering. So call now. Your future as a Tony Blair associate is waiting. And so am I. Apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Oh, a heck of a lot of apologies this week from all over the world. Starting in Lagos, Nigeria, Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari of the Lagos Buharis has apologized for stealing several lines from President Obama's 2008 victory speech, according to his spokesman, who stole lines from President Obama's spokesman to make the apology. Those responsible will be held accountable, the spokesman said. Buhari asked Nigerians to overlook the incident and instead concentrate on the message of his speech, which we'll ignore. Uh, officials from an Alabama high school have apologized after its students displayed a banner before a game against their rival football team painted with the words, Make America Great Again, Trump the Tigers. On Monday, officials from the school, Briarwood Christian, emailed a prepared statement, Briarwood Christian School desires to publicly apologize for any understandable offense caused by the sign during a recent football game. The message of the sign did not represent the school's deep commitment to biblical principles and values, <laughs> nor did it reflect our commitment to honoring and respecting our guests. Fairfield, the school they were playing against, is 98% black. Briarwood Christian High School is 98% white. I don't know why you bring up race. Mark Jacobs the fashion guy, has apologized for his choice of words after finding himself in the middle of a race storm with his latest runway show at New York Fashion Week. The fashion designer exhibited his latest collection. I'm sure it's fabulous, but was remembered not for the stylish garments, but because the models sported multicolored dreadlocks, leading critics to accuse Jacobs of cultural appropriation. Jacobs allegedly wrote, 
In now deleted comments on Instagram, I do not see color or race, I see people. All who cry cultural appropriation or whatever nonsense about any race or skin color wearing their hair in any particular style or manner, funny how you don't criticize women of color for straightening their hair. Unquote. Later, the American designer posted a mea culpa after receiving even more backlash from social media users. I have read all your comments, and I thank you for expressing your feelings. I apologize for the lack of sensitivity unintentionally expressed by my brevity. Yeah, blame the brevity, babe. The damn brevity. I'd fire the brevity if I were you. Get, get a new brevity. The actress Sarah Paulson apologized to O.J. Simpson prosecutor Marsha Clark for judging her during the trial. Paulson played Marsha Clark in the TV miniseries about the trial. She used her acceptance speech at the uh, Emmy Awards last week to simultaneously thank Clark and say sorry for judging the lawyer during the trial in 1995. The responsibility of playing a real person is an enormous one, Paulson explained. The more I learned about the real Marsha Clark, not the two-dimensional cardboard cutout I saw in the news, but the complicated, whip-smart, giant-hearted mother of two who woke up every day, put both feet on the floor, and dedicated, dedicated herself to righting an unconscionable wrong, the more... I had to recognize that I, along the rest of the world, had been superficial and careless in my judgment. I'm proud to be able to stand here today in front of everyone and tell you I'm sorry. So she was proud and she was sorry. <laughs> Only in show business. By the way, I put my two feet on the floor every morning, too. I think most of us do. And by the way, Marsha Clark lost the trial and got a $4 million book deal to uh, explain. A county chairwoman of Donald Trump's campaign, that's because we respect success so much in America. A county chairwoman of Donald Trump's campaign in Ohio resigned this week after following comments suggesting President Obama is to blame for racism. Trump's Ohio State Director, Bob Paduchik, said in a statement that county chairmen are volunteers and not spokespeople for the campaign. He accepted the resignation of Kathy Miller following her inappropriate comments, and he released a statement apologizing for those comments, her uh, remarks to The Guardian gained national attention. I don't think there was any racism until Obama got elected. We never had problems like this, <laughs> she said in the interview. Kathy Miller did. If you're black and you haven't been successful in the last 50 years, she said, it's your own fault. You've had every opportunity. It's been given to you. Doesn't represent the views of anybody. A North Carolina congressman has apologized after making some provocative comments about the protesters and rioters in Charlotte. Republican Robert Pittenger, who scolded protesters for saying they lack the spirit of Martin Luther King, talked to the BBC. So this, this is what happens when American politicians talk to British uh, journalists. They think they're free to say what they really believe. <laughs> Quote, the grievance in their minds, the animus, the anger, they hate white people because white people are successful and they're not. It is a welfare state. We have spent trillions of dollars on welfare and we put people in bondage so they can't be all they're capable of being. After that started getting attention, Pittenger offered a profuse apology on Twitter. What is taking place in my hometown breaks my heart. Today, my anguish led me to respond to a reporter's question in a way I regret. My answer to BBC doesn't reflect who I am. <laughs> Notice how often that's said these days. I wonder who's getting into all these people's bodies and impersonating them. This is not who we are. Right here, right now, this is not who we are. I'm, I'm still busy putting my feet, two feet on the floor. I'm not doing this. Uh, going back to Pittenger, I was quoting statements made by angry protesters last night on natural, national TV. My intent was to discuss the lack of economic mobility for African Americans because of failed policies. I apologize to those I offended, and I hope we can bring peace and calm to Charlotte. Unquote. 
Law professor Glenn Reynolds tweeted out three words in response to vehicles in Charlotte being surrounded by protesters and, and rioters. The words were, run them down. He was suspended on Twitter, and um, he was later uh, suspended from his USA Today newspaper column for a month. Reynolds now apologizes. I didn't live up to my own standards, and I didn't meet USA Today's standards. <laughs> USA Today has standards. For that, I apologize to USA Today readers and to my followers on social media. Those words can easily be taken to advocate drivers going out of the way to run down protesters. Since the words were run them down, yeah. I meant no such thing, and I'm sorry it seemed that I did. What I meant is that drivers who feel their lives are in danger from a violent mob should not stop their vehicles. My tweet should have said, keep driving. <laughs> Which is always good advice. I mean, it's America. Buy gas. Deadline, Polk County, Florida. Polk County officially learned of a sinkhole at a fertilizer plant in Mulberry, Florida. On September 9th, the company that runs the fertilizer plant, a company called Mosaic, that's what you'd call a fertilizer plant company, wouldn't it? Uh, sent an email to the county explaining the hole had opened beneath a gypsum stack. Better check your gypsum stack when you get home. Officials say 215 gallons, 215 million gallons of radioactive water sitting in a containment pool, minding its own business, were swallowed and dumped into the Floridan aquifer, the main source of drinking water for most of southern Florida. The sinkhole opened a couple of weeks before notification, although Mosaic notified the Florida Department of Environmental Protection the next day. The county commissioner thinks the county had a moral obligation to inform neighbors of the plant when it learned of the leak. It didn't. I deeply regret and apologize that I didn't come forward and communicate with them sooner, said Mosaic's senior vice president of phosphate. <laughs> There's a job they didn't tell you you could have in high school. <laughs> vice president of phosphate. I do want to, my focus right now to be on the neighbors and to give them the assurances that we will do everything that we can and we believe this will be managed on site. He has not met with any neighbors yet, but hopes to do so in the coming weeks and to get a pony. <laughs> Deadline Washington, the commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, apologized to Congress this week for information his agency lost and inaccurate statements he made during congressional investigations of its treatment of conservative groups. John Koskinen said he's been truthful and cooperative and insisted it would be wrong to impeach him. So aside from the losing and the inaccurate statements, Mrs. Lincoln, everything's fine. Cosmetics brand ColourPop. I told you there were a lot of apologies this week. It's been a sorry week. Cosmetics brand ColourPop came under fire recently when people noticed that the names for their contouring sticks might be regarded as offensive. Shades for lighter skin tones were given names including Gummy Bear, Venice, and Castle. Shades for darker skin tones were listed as Yikes! Doom, D-U-M-E, and Typo. <laughs> Critics of the brand began to speak out on Twitter this week. In a statement, a spokesperson for ColourPop apologized. On behalf of ColourPop, you're sorry and extremely grateful for our customers' feedback. We've taken immediate action to change the shade names and review our naming process to ensure this does not happen again. Reprogram the naming computer, please. The darker shades, yikes, has been changed to bloom, Doom to Point Doom, and Typo to Platonic. Because <laughs> Aristotelian was a shade of uh, lip balm. 
The Seattle Mariners are reviewing all internal options after backup catcher Steve Clevenger, this is a baseball team for those of you who don't know, posted a pair of inflammatory tweets, for which he later apologized. The general manager of the team, Jerry DePoto, said the team was very disappointed in light of Clevenger's tweets, which referenced the recent arrest following the fatal shooting of a man by police in Charlotte. Charlotte, apologies, ladies and gentlemen. We got them all. One tweet said in part that, quote, everyone involved should be locked behind bars like animals, unquote. While he's certainly free to express himself, his tweets do not in any way represent the opinions of the Seattle Mariners, DePoto said. We strongly disagree with the language and tone of his comments. Clevenger apologized several hours after the Mariners issued their statement, saying in a lengthy statement released through his agent that he was sickened by the idea that anyone would think of me in racist terms. First and foremost, I would like to apologize to the Seattle Mariners, my teammates, my family, and the fans of our great game for the distraction my tweets on my personal Twitter page caused when they went public earlier today, said he or his agent. South Africa's National Airline has apologized to Tyrone Pillay, the country's medal-winning Paralympic shot putter, after he was prevented from boarding a, fi- a flight with his spare prosthetic leg. The incident happened this week as Pillay was returning from the Paralympic Games in Rio, where he won a bronze. Maybe if he'd won a gold, he'd get to carry the leg. <laughs> Pillay revealed on Twitter a member of South African Airways staff stopped him boarding a connecting flight from Johannesburg to Durban, his hometown, while carrying this prosthesis. Can't believe I got treated like this after winning a medal for our country. Totally disrespectful, he tweeted. He had been allowed to board an SAA flight from Sao Paulo to Johannesburg with his prosthetic leg as carry-on. South African Airlines was the official carrier of the South African team to the Paralympic Games. So, yeah, he had a lot of pull with them. Airline spokesman Tlali Tlali, so nice they named him twice, said the incident had left all of us with a terrible aftertaste. SAA has already made contact with Mr. Pillay, and we've apologized to him. The spokesman said the prosthesis should have been treated as carry-on luggage. The airline is investigating the incident. And finally... Facebook apologized late this week and uh, restored two posts by an Arkansas state senator that called for removing, quote, every single Muslim extremist sympathizer from the United States. In an email statement, a Facebook spokesman apologized for the company's removal of the two posts. The statement said the uh, senator's remarks did not violate the company's community standards. See if you recognize this quote. The posts were removed in error and restored once we were able to investigate. Our team processes millions of reports each week, and we sometimes get things wrong. We're very sorry about this mistake. Exactly the language, unquote, exactly the language Facebook used last week in apologizing for censoring another user. So at least they have the uh, language right. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, they are a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. (laughs) And by the way, don't check with the copyright office. They wouldn't know about that. It's all made up. Um, this story tends to recur now uh, every couple of years. It is a, a story of a certain problem with uh, the American military. And this is from Military Times, which you'd think would know. For the first time in years, the Pentagon has disclosed data indicating the number of troops it deems overweight raising questions about the health, fitness, and readiness of today's American military. About 7.8% of the military, roughly one in every 13 troops, is clinically overweight, defined by a body mass index greater than 25. This rate has crept upward since 2001, when it was just 1.6%, and it's highest among women, blacks, Hispanics, and older service members. Compared to the U.S. civilian population, the rate of overweight troops is far smaller. 70% of the adult American population is clinically overweight or obese. 
70%. Widen the doors, everybody. Defense Department health officials released the data after multiple requests from Military Times. They didn't provide uh, breakdowns for the different services. The disclosure comes at a time when top Pentagon health officials are rewriting guidelines for body composition standards and the methods for officially evaluating it. A diagnosis of obesity can stall a career or lead to involuntary separation. Some Pentagon officials say the mounting signs of obesity are nothing to worry about. Others say obesity can be a life and death issue on the battlefield. Overweight troops may not move as quickly in ground combat, making them easier targets. <laughs> and if they are wounded, it may be harder for their buddies to move them to safety. If I have, quote, if I have to climb up to the top of a mountain in Nuristan in Afghanistan, and if I have someone who's classified as clinically obese, there's going to be potential liability for me on that patrol, said Army Command Sergeant Major. Was he a sergeant or a major? Sergeant Major John Troxell, the military's top non-commissioned officer. He says he thinks today's force is combat ready, but that the obesity trends are troubling and demands careful consideration. The obesity data by uh, the Pentagon is de derived from health records, not uh, unit-level testing for individual fitness. Military health officials caution against placing too much emphasis on body mass index scores. It's often criticized as a blunt tool that wrongly identifies bodybuilders with heavy muscle masses being fat and misses flabby and unfit people who happen to have lanky body types. Military women are more likely to be designated overweight or fat compared to military men. Even combat troops are getting fatter on average. Those aside to combat units are not as likely to be overweight as the force at large. But um, the latest obesity data validates concerns raised by Mission Readiness, a nonprofit group of more than 600 retired military officers who work to strengthen national security. This is about the national security of the United States, said retired Army General, Lieutenant General John Bednarik. It's a long-term trend, and we cannot turn a blind eye. Are we providing healthy choices? Are we providing fruits and vegetable options up front? As opposed to the first thing they see in the morning is the grill with a 22 grams of fat sausage patty. Like everything else in the military, the start of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan transformed fitness culture. Quote, in the 90s, we were a running culture. If you weren't running, you weren't training. And we were doing a lot of foot marching and things like that, said Troxel. As 9-11 happened, we started doing operations in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the operational tempo rose for service members. I think more and more we started slowing down. You follow that? I don't. We started doing more walking. Oh, okay. Obviously, in the Army and Marines, we started doing more walking with heavy loads and moving over rough and uneven terrain, which itself was developing muscles we weren't developing before. So now we were going from looking like runners to these blocky-looking football players. He believes the urgent demands created by combat may have led some unit-level leaders to prioritize missions over traditional physical training. In some cases, the first thing that gets cut is the fitness session that was on the training calendar, when actually that is probably the most important thing we do every day. I don't know. It sounds kind of serious to me. When it comes down to truculence, the truck don't stop here. I'll cuss out the bad guys at the drop of a beer. I'll talk up America till dawn's early light. Too bad that I'm too fat to fight. 
Now I joined up with the army on some kind of dare. But traveling on my stomach, it just made people stare. Couldn't fit in my bunk, my camouflage was tight. Turns out I was too fat to fight. That's right. Too fat to fight, and ain't it a shame? Cause war is really America's game. We got bellicose brains, but our varicose veins mean we're all too fat to fight. Yes, we're all too fat to fight. Now ain't that right? Well, the burgers and the hot dogs, the fries and ice cream. I thought I was eating the American dream. But when my boots disappeared, plain out of sight, I could see I was too fat to fight now shooting parachuting clean out of a plane it's not just a job it's a heck of a strain the few and the proud will carry our might the rest of us are too fat to fight that's right too fat to fight And it does seem a waste Cause building up nations Just ain't to our taste We got bellicose brains But our varicose veins Mean we're all too fat to fight Yes, we're all too fat to fight Well, we picked a bad moment to get up off the pot. An army of one, maybe all that we got. The bad guys are smart, they're lean and they're light. God made us too fat to fight. Now one of these mornings, my son will enlist. I'll be hiding my tears By his mom he'll be kissed He'll waddle on that drill field And be home by night Like his dad, he'll be too fat to fight You know that's right Too fat to fight And ain't it a shame Cause war is really America's game Got bellicose brains But our varicose veins Mean we're all too fat to fight Yes, we're all too fat to fight
Thank you. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. News of microplastics, ladies and gentlemen. On today's broadcast, for years, cosmetic toothpaste and body care product manufacturers added microbeads, microscopic balls of plastic to their merchandise for their skin exfoliating effects. A congressional ban that goes into effect next year will put an end to the environmentally toxic practice, at least in the United States. Researchers studying America's waterways have now discovered microbeads may be the tip of the iceberg for plastic pollution. A study published in Environmental Science and Technology, I read it for the articles, found rivers and streams in the United States are full of microplastic debris. Scientists studied 29 tributaries that flow into the Great Lakes across six states, and floating microplastics were found in all 107 samples. The trash ranged from fragments, films, foams, and pellets to tiny fibers potentially originating from fishing line nets and synthetic textiles. Plastic objects degrade over time, breaking up into microscope, microscopic plastic debris that runs off into the waste stream. Wastewater treatment plants capture the heavier fibers before they enter waterways like rivers and lakes, but the plants do not eliminate most microplastics. This presents a danger to marine life by obstructing an animal's digestive system, interfering with reproduction, oh that, and carrying harmful chemicals that can stymie development or even kill water-dwelling creatures. The problem is worsening microplastic concentrations in lakes and rivers now rival or exceed what's been found in oceanic gyres like the infamous Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Are you familiar with that? It's in the Pacific. You can find it. Satellites have seen it. Turning seawater into cloudy soup. Removing microplastics from the water is virtually impossible. I think the best solution is to try to reduce the source, said the hydrologist lead author in the study from the U.S. Geological Survey. Banning microbeads is a start, but that was easy. Microbeads are a single component that can be taken out of the supply chain in one fell swoop. Stopping litter from breaking down and washing into the stream is a lot harder, he said. Other contributors to microplastic pollution, textiles, washing machines, fishing gear, are much more difficult to entangle from the products they come from, and there's no easy way for treatment plants to filter out microplastics. And researchers at the Spanish Institute of Oceanography, yes, they have one, who analyzed microplastics intake in fish, fish species of the Spanish Atlantic and Mediterranean coasts, found a high percentage of them in the stomachs of several, several commercially important fish. The scientists an, analyzed a total of 212 ground fish. I don't know. Why would you grind them? That have high commercial interest, 72 dogfish, 12 hake, and 128 mullet, and found microplastics in 37 of them, one out of every six. In a second study, uh, a, a, the gastrointestinal tract of the bogue. That's a fish whose Latin name is worth mentioning on this broadcast. It's boops, boops. <laughs> Swear to God. Uh, the high presence of microplastics in the bogue, that's a semi-pelagic fish that's common in the Balearic Islands and in the Mediterranean. Almost 70% of the bogues have plastic polymer fibers that are less than 5 millimeters in size in their stomachs. The plastic is between 42% and 80% of the ingested prey of the fish. So they're getting a high microplastic diet. Delish, I say. Now, on to the um, American presidential. We've stalled long enough. The American presidential election. 
is um, heading hurtling towards the uh, first presidential debate, which would be uh, Monday night. And uh, so the media, which have nothing to write about, are writing about the candidates' preparations for the debate. Because, you know, you got space to fill, got time to fill. So um, there is a report in Politico about the uh, internal workings of the Hillary Clinton debate prep. And uh, I, my favorite part of it, that, you know, they're, they're saying she's studying up and she's trying to decide whether to be approachable or serious and how to deal with which Donald Trump shows up, which seems to be the, uh, the question of the day. But uh, Clinton's advisors emphasize that the mock debates are important, but a source said her preparation this year is, quote, more style than substance. They're trying to prepare her for the different Trumps that might show up. What they're concentrating on are the television aspect, of course, of how she reacts. It might not be anything Clinton says that matters. Many longtime aides credited the power of a reaction shot, a deuce-proving maternal glare honed from her years as a first lady enduring another long spiel by somebody else as one of her most valuable weapons in communicating gravitas and strength in the face of expected insults from Donald Trump. So watch the reaction shots tomorrow night of Hillary Clinton. Meanwhile, true to his reputation as an unconventional candidate, Trump uh, sources say he's not preparing in the normal way. He's wary of being, they say, overprepared. I don't know if they can get the notes. Okay, good. Keep peppering me, Newt. Keep them coming. Where'd these fries come from? Not the place downstairs. They're mushy. Hey, that's a good new one. Mushy Hillary. Write that down, somebody. All right, Mr. Trump, let's, uh, let's turn to foreign policy. Yeah. They call him a running back. He runs like a girl. Yeah, sir. Kelly Ann's in the room. He, he, okay, he runs like a great girl. A wonderful, graceful girl. How's that? Go, Newt. I'm dying here. <laughs> How do you see Russia's actions in Ukraine? All right, let me tell you something. I don't know how I'm supposed to answer that question when this Diet Coke is warm like soup. I mean, warm like you would make tomato soup or, or bisque or something. How does, that, how, does that, how does that happen? In the middle of the game and the prep and everything? <laughs> They're uh, working on getting some ice up here. Okay. I'm sure that... Uh, but, but, but see, but see that, that, that's not your job, Newt. No. You're totally policy. You're not uh, the ice for the Diet Coke. It's like all of a sudden I'm running for president and this place has lost all of its pizzazz. Well, holy it, crap. What was he looking at when he threw that? His mother-in-law in the stands? If we could. Uh, the Ukraine question. Uh, first of all, I think we've gone out of our way to pick a fight with Putin. I mean, he's tough. He's not a nice guy. But I dealt with a lot of tough, not nice guys when I built Trump Tower. You think I picked fights with them? You think I, picking a fight with uh, Fat Tony Salerno would be a good idea? <laughs> Just a suggestion, sir, that we, uh, we leave uh, deceased organized crime figures out of the uh, answer. That is a crap call. Oh, sorry, I was... The ball was on the five, not the four. Yeah. Well, hey, anybody in sweet order a cold Diet Coke? <laughs> Hi, Rudy. Listen, sit down. This is a disgrace, this game. A disaster. We were uh, just talking about Ukraine. Yeah, don't let me interrupt. When we get to uh, stop and frisk, I've got some good stuff. Well, if you can't stop them, how the hell are you going to frisk them? That's good. Wow. Mm. No, no, the burger's ice cold. 
said running for president is easy. Yeah. Run the damn ball. They're begging you to. The defense. No, the Ukrainians. Wow. Mm. Best Russian dressing in the world. So Putin hasn't spoiled that yet, right? Am I right? I traveled, I have wandered Pondered on the cruelty that I see all around So much heartache, so much sadness Love and some forgiveness when you put the bat down Arian, why don't you wake up, wake up Why don't you face it all Just pretend, well, that's the wisdom So the cycle goes around It's what you're used to mm-hmm. Keep that smile on Cause it's sure to pull you through And Arian, why don't you wake up, wake up Oh, why don't you face it all mm-hmm. Arian, why don't you rise up and rise Faces cruel places that left the hopeful sinking. Well, we all live with walls around us, mm-hmm. but we must break those chains that bind us. And Arian, why don't you wake up, wake up? Oh, why don't you face it all? Mm-hmm. Arian, why don't you rise up and rise up? You tear down this wall oh, Ari, Ari, and Why don't you rise up Tear down this wall Why don't you rise up, rise up Rise up, rise up. Why don't you tear down this wall? 
Judith Owen and Leland Sklar. Live in London. Now, ladies and gentlemen, views of the warm, won't you? temperature that go back farther than the 1800s suggest warming of recent decades is out of step with any period over the last millennium. The planet is warming at a pace not experienced within the last thousand years at least, making it very unlikely the world will stay within the crucial, crucial temperature limit agreed by nations just last year, according to NASA's top climate scientist. Large-bodied animals like blue whales, great whites, and bluefin tuna will be the first to go as their size makes them more vulnerable to hunting by humans, a new study co-authored by a University of Hawaii at Hilo, professor, says the world faces an unprecedented mass extinction of marine life unless there's a dramatic shift in ocean management with constraints on hunting and fishing. Yeah, that's going to work. The study published in the journal Science suggests that catastrophe would exceed any of the worst extinctions of the past. We need soylent green, and we need it now. <laughs> Melting uh, sea ice, a new study finds. Earlier sea ice melt in the spring and later ice growth in the fall is hurting the feeding and breeding capabilities of polar bear populations all across the Arctic. They are the animals most affected by declines in Arctic sea ice. As you may know, they spend their winters and springs roaming and hunting on the ice. They've evolved mainly to eat seals, which provide the fats and nutrients they need. Bears can't outswim their prey, so instead they perch on the ice as a platform and ambush seals at breathing holes or break through the ice. So they're nasty. Sea ice really is their platform for life. They're uh, capable of hunting on land for part of the year, but the sea ice is where they obtain their main prey. The study published in the cryosphere looked at all of the 19 separate polar bear populations living in the Arctic and showed declining sea ice for all of them. So no advantage. The, The official number of moose in Yellowstone is 200, but it could be as few as 80 animals. In other parts of the country, Minnesota has seen a dramatic decline in their moose population. In New Hampshire, 3,800 animals remain of the 7,500 present in the late 1990s. Uh, Minnesota has gone down 70%. Warmer winters have increased ticks in the north woods, which can weaken moose. Some animals are carrying as many as 120,000 ticks. They're so highly infected, they become anemic from blood loss. Other moose rub so vigorously against the forest trees to remove ticks, they lose much of their dark brown coat. They're known as ghost moose for the pale skin that's revealed. That makes them more visible to predators and less able to cope with the cold winters. And salmon have been swimming in the Pacific Northwest waters for at least 7 million years. During that time, they've been a key species and an important food source. But this year, British Columbia's sockeye salmon run was the lowest in recorded history. So we're doing a great job with the Earth. I think we should give it to the bonobos. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR Worldwide 
across Europe, USN 440 cable system in Europe, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces, Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio here in London, on the internet whenever you want it, at two different locations, live and archived, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast. I said a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. At SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, and WWNO.org. Thanks to Dan Pye here at King's Place. Thanks to Gabe of uh, the Judith Owens tour. Thanks to Judith and Lee. Thanks to Pam Halstead. And thanks to uh, Adrian Bodnam at Global Radio and Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans for helping make today's program possible. The email address for this broadcast, podcast, a playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to buy Cars I Talk t-shirts all at harryshearer.com. And I, until Google buys it, I'll be on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. And we'll be right back here in London, December 8th, for Judith's and my annual Christmas charity show, Christmas Without Tears, the London edition, with a star-studded list of guests, all for charity for the homeless. So please join us here, and then you know the way now. So come on back.